0: Hello, hello, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing fantastic. We have a mind-blowing episode of this show for you today. We have Hamilton (laughs) Souther, Hamilton Souther back on the show. We are talking about shattering belief, connecting with life, force, energy, and the existence of belief. Beings. This is a mind blowing episode, I assure you. Uh, We talk about the ethos of shamanism, how to use intention, Um, shamans as a Western term, and and his view on that, uh, the gift of self awareness. And then we get into witnessing millions of different beings, dwarf spirits, uh, the spirit of Mucho- Mupacho, an amazing story that he has about basically being lost in the Amazon, and, like and having these beings help him. It's it's like I said, it's mind blowing. Uh, we talk about how to work with plants, how to heal from um, a negative psychedelic experience if you do experiment with psychedelics, what you can do to um, heal from that experience. You know, Hamilton Souther has been a shaman for a long time. He's You know, a master shaman at the Blue Morpho Retreats had some incredible apprenticeship with shamans in Peru and just is really an interesting, extraordinary uh, human being that has been doing some fascinating work for a long time and has even more unbelievable stories. So I know that you're going to enjoy this episode. And if you do, please share it uh, as far as wide as you can. Um, Support the show by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. Thank you to all my patrons it really does help consider joining the academy you can find a link at mattbelair.com to join the academy with exclusive content and training and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the best thing that you can oh, or you could also leave a review on iTunes, that helps. But the best way to support the show is one kind act today, wherever you are in the world. And if and uh, sign up for the email list, because number one, censorship and shadow banning and all that kind of stuff. And number two, I'm going to be releasing the quantum heart hypnosis experiences. Uh, these are truly amazing for helping you get crystal clear on your life purpose and direction, not a final destination, but basically points of navigation you combine that with the soul compass course in the Academy or if you want to go even deeper and you want to do some one-on-one coaching with me to get crystal clear on who you are what your life purpose is how to create your dreams with the best tools inner and outer uh, you know basically logical and creative mind combined with peak performance techniques to create a life of contribution of meaning and fulfillment and so if any of that interests you hit me up at mattbellaire.com or uh, mattbellaire.com forward slash coaching so that's it Uh, the best way again to support the show is doing one kind act in your community Uh, pick up a piece of trash say a kind word be forgiving be tolerant do whatever you got to do and uh, yeah let's uh we're an interesting time so let's do this as a community let's be the example that we want to be in the world and i think that we're good with that so let's get into today's episode Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing, take in a deep breath in through your nose, hold that breath, and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Hamilton Souther. Hello, and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is CEO, Master Shaman, and founder of Blue Morpho Retreats, co founder of One Energy Global and Source Independent Entertainment. He is a visionary leader, speaker, author, and renowned Master Shaman. He is an international leader of Amazonian sustainability and conservation. Welcome back to the show, Hamilton Souther.
1: Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you for, for having me on your show. It's incredible.
0: Absolutely, man. Well, uh, it was, I remember our last podcast and it was fantastic. You got to dive really deep. You're a very fascinating person. Uh, A lot of people are are aware of you and they hold you in high regard. So um, I certainly do as well. So it's great to have you on the show. Um, I guess let's start a little bit with with your background and then maybe you can fill us in with what's going on um, where you are because um, I've been doing a lot of shows. Trying to keep up to date with the coronavirus stuff, and um, you know, a lot of it's turned out to not be as as bad as what's been projected. Um, you know, with the death rates and following that really closely. But your experience is is exactly um, maybe what could have been. You experienced, a, you know, a very challenging time. So I'm curious if you can just kind of fill us in a little bit.
1: Sure. In terms of my background, uh, I moved into the Peruvian Amazon in my early 20s after I graduated from college studying uh, physical and cultural anthropology and was super interested in the Amazon, Amazonian medicinal plants and Amazonian shamanism. And I ended up having an opportunity to uh, apprentice and study under incredible shamans. And we opened up Blue Morpho Center in early 2000s. And we were some of the first people to really bring Amazonian plant medicine to, uh, you know, the forefront of spiritual exploration and personal discovery. It was a wild journey, amazing, incredible journey, uh, developing Blue Morpho over the years. And it really centered from my early 20s into my early 40s, the majority of my life here in the Amazon And uh, it's been, you know, an incredible time to uh, be a part of this transformation of this part of the world, and also see everything that's going on down here. And to your point about coronavirus, uh, it's been one of the places hit hardest in the world, and we have lived through really the uh, what you know people described of as the doomsday scenario with it. And it was unbelievably intense. Uh, The city shut down for a series of months, and really since March. So March through uh, really last month, it was unbelievably intense, Uh, really under police control and military control, trying to maintain stability. Literally the city uh, shut down in every way you could possibly imagine under other than the uh, most essential necessities. And we had uh, the highest infection rate in the world for a period of time. So we had over 90% infection rate and uh, the really impossible way to even count the number of deaths associated with it. Uh, I personally know um, countless people that passed on during this period of time. Every single family that I know and have been friends with over the last 20 years has lost at least someone to the virus. And the majority of the people obviously within those families also contracted it. So we've gotten to see uh, people that have, you know, almost no symptoms all the way to the people that have died through this experience. And um, it's like uh, living through, I don't know, the, the apocalypse, it's like a, a mini apocalypse, you know, the, just the, the intensity of, uh, the transformation from literally one week to the next life for 19 years here just disappeared. What was the, the flow and the growth of the city just gone. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was this, you know, new existence living with coronavirus and, uh, the intensity associated with it all the way to the point of hospitals collapsing from the number of people and just the inability to be able to treat everybody, to the people deciding to treat themselves inside their own homes and utilizing natural medicines as a way to try to uh, confront the illness. And then, uh, I mean, there was even starvation within the city, which is unbelievable. People who literally just ran out of the ability to survive. And then uh, all of these like uh, micro humanitarian movements from the people for the people that just came out, uh, which was incredibly heartwarming to see the the people really try to support each other to get through this and come together as a society is uh, sort of what's happened. And just in the last month, the newest reports are that we're one of the first cities in the world to now have zero cases of coronavirus, uh, like the first wave has run its course. And the big question is, how long will that last? And uh, is there a second wave coming?
0: Wow, man! Well, first of all, that's that's awful to hear. It sounds in, incredibly challenging experience, you know. Um, and you know, talking to some of my Native American friends, I guess they were experiencing the coronavirus worse um, than the general population as well. Andreas Kalker, who was on the show, and he was talking about how he he was having amazing success with chlorine dioxide in South America, and he said they were experiencing, you know, uh, a much rougher time with the virus. So they wanted to get it out there. And a lot of doctors, I guess he has 10,000 doctors underneath them. So hopefully that will be accessible if indeed that's going to happen. Um, what are the treatments that work? Cause he was saying some of them was up to a hundred percent success, even if, unless they were, he, he said, really, really at the end. Um, other than that, they was able to, uh, they were able to have a full recovery. And so apparently there's 10,000 doctors underneath them. So hopefully if, if something does happen again, we can be better prepared, but it's interesting because I haven't heard one of those stories yet. You know, it's usually been something on the other side where they're inflated or there's something screwy with going on with the testing or um, something shady going on. But yeah, even now talking to Joe Martino and he's interviewed, um, one of these, um, doctors from China saying that, they were talking about engineering the virus that she was actually one of those people on the team. So it's a very challenging time. You know, there's so much information out there. There's so much uh, trauma and harm in various different ways. We're very polarized right now. And your, what your work is is really healing people. It's, you know, inviting people down to the Amazon to have these transform transformational experiences. So how has your work changed? and, And what is the, um, I guess the message or the feeling from the the shamans or the indigenous people down there,
1: well, I'll answer that kind of in reverse the The shamans have been seeing this kind of uh, apocalyptic scenario coming for hundreds of years and have been talking about it and you know the the general I think sort of ethos of shamanism across the world is live in balance with nature and live in harmony with the, the totality of, of sort of the overall forces. And there's this, you know, polarity of forces and this idea to try to be more or less in balance with those forces. Obviously, there's certain kinds of shamanism that fall into sort of the darker sides and others that are more about the medicine and the lighter sides. And obviously that is its own concept of balance as well. But the general theory is as a society at large, you have to live within the parameters of the, you know, the balance of, of the great forces and, I think in the modern world and scientific world, that could just be seen as earth and nature itself. And, you know, the earth has been evolving and ultimately evolved humans and humans now have lived this great mythological journey of the mind for, you know, the last couple hundred thousand years at least. And along the way, the shamans have been saying, hey, uh, massive societies out there, you have to pay attention to nature or this is going to come. And I think that you know, most of them were pretty prepared for something like this to happen. It's been within their mythology uh, for quite some time. So I think that, you know, in our case, we've been kind of watching uh, society not pay attention to really some core, you know, figures There's some, some core statistics that you would just look at to just kind of gauge the direction that it's going, whether that be, you know, just the, the health of the overall planet, you know, the different aspects of climate change, et cetera. And I mean, there's just so many different ones that you could ultimately look at. Things were looking great out of, greatly out of balance. And then, you know, so for this to come is just a, a, I don't know. It's a, it's a reminder and it's also a confirmation of what the seers have been seeing for hundreds of years. So we kind of looked at it and treated it that way. And we were always preparing for something like this because of that. So in our ceremonial experiences and our visionary experiences, we never treated uh, modern society as being very stable we always considered it to be you know a, something that's really quite amazing but also incredibly uh unstable and and topsy-turvy and you know throughout my own studies of history it seems like war has really been the giant thread through through history yeah i know there's obviously an unbelievable uh series of times of peace and unbelievable times of beauty throughout that but the main push and force has always been this idea of dominance and supremacy throughout the world. And so it seems like that this is just another expression ultimately of that continued thread of, you know, an ever shifting concept of, uh, conflict amongst humans and how that conflict ultimately expresses itself. Um, so th- you know, that, that's kinda, I think the way that the shamans have been treating it. And so we've been, you know, just preparing and ready, And in terms of our work, well, you know, March 16th, when Peru declared a national state of emergency, Blue Morpho and the center that I started back in the early 2000s for the first time ever just stopped. It ended. That was it. There is literally no way to practice anymore. And so we quickly uh, got our entire company together to really start to follow what we thought of would be the you know strictest protocols to try to stay safe from COVID and from the, the spread of the disease, as we didn't know how lethal it would really be, because it was just unknowns at the beginning. You know, it was just all misinformation and unknowns. And so uh, we split into two groups to try to cover the different infrastructure that we have and work together as a group. And what we did, uh, um, which I thought was really amazing, was that we went back to the traditional medicine to stay healthy through the period of time of COVID. So the group that I led actually uh, continued the practices of all the shamanic medicines that we used as a preventive way, and then um, the visionary medicines as a way of a healing way to deal with the uncertainty and the traumas throughout the the period of time um, that we were all together during this this uh, you know kind of crazy disrupt. So. I actually got to, for the first time, share with our workers a lot of the different practices that we would share with our groups that would come down for healing that had always been interested, but never themselves had had an opportunity or a reason to partake in this kind of medicine. And down here, it's not really considered something for exploration. It's considered something as a medicine. So there's the locals wait until there's a reason to to participate. And so we, as a group, we started to do shamanic dietas every month as a way to purify the body and to boost the immune system utilizing uh, a variety of medicinal plants, many of them unknown to the West. Most of the the plants down here that are famous are the visionary ones that uh, people talk about. So we actually turned to shamanic dietas as a way of purifying the body and keeping the body healthy and uh, it's also an unbelievably stabilizing experience. So uh, you find courage and strength through the process of the the dieta. And so we did that together as a group. and then in the case of real traumas and real losses, we would hold visionary ceremonies to deal with the trauma. And so we really turned to the indigenous medicine as a way to maintain uh, solidarity and strength through this time.
0: Wow. Thanks for that. Thanks for all that, man. I, you know, there's so many different directions and questions I, I have for you. So I'm just going to kind of reel off a whole bunch of stuff that I've been thinking and you can pick apart what you'd like to reply to. Sure. You know, ayahuasca ayahuasca is such a powerful experience um, you know over time I've I've seen the the good in it and how it's transformed people and I've seen the, the dark side where you know some some people and travelers or shamans can abuse it or some people can go into it for the wrong reasons um, but for me it's been incredibly powerful and impactful and that's mostly what I experience when people have done it with respect and and all of that kind of thing. Um, so for me, when, when I have those experiences, or even if I'm lucky enough to have one in meditation, the place that you go to is beyond words. And it's like infinite love. And, and somehow everything is okay. You know, that art, that piece of art behind you, I completely understand it. And, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's this most magical safe place, but it can also be terrifying as well. But you've been to that space more often than most people that I know. When I come back from it, it's like, I always, I always like kind of hear like the sound in my ear, like it's going home. Like I hear like home, 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 like there's a little bit of thing and the shamans and the work that they do is so incredibly powerful. It's like the fact that they're able to navigate this space and be standing. It's like, to me, it's more impressive than being like the heavyweight uh, champion of the world UFC fighters. It's like the fact that you're standing up right now and you can navigate is beyond me. Like this is, I don't know what you're doing, but I I'll take all the help you can give me. So, you know. And looking at what's going on here, there's really challenging times, really challenging polarization. There's loss, there's intense fear. And ideally the message when I come back is one of hope and empowerment. But one of the questions that I struggle with being human is like, why the hell is there so much friggin' suffering? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil? Um, You know, why are all these challenging things out there? And And some of the teachings will say, come back to yourself, like everything, you know, you're creating everything essentially from your consciousness, like a hologram. So I always think, well, why would I create all this suffering? They say sometimes it's like a video game or something like that. And so I'm just yammering. But the basic question I want to throw at you is, you know, how has that kind of experience or medicine empowered you to navigate such a challenging time as you've gone through and what you're witnessing in the communities you're around?
1: Well, I'll start with the idea of just being able to walk around within the space. Uh, <laughs> that was my biggest thing too when I first started. You know, I couldn't believe it. I I got called to uh, this kind of medicine form it, through the first ceremony that I did in two thousand uh, and two, two thousand one, two thousand two, and. I was so overwhelmed by the experience. I couldn't believe that anybody could actually get to the place where you could stand up and or walk and or even just be okay. It was so, so throttling. It was so intense. So I completely understand. And, um, ultimately, little by little, you, you learn how to maintain your center from your consciousness, not so much from the reflection of everything that's going on around you. And you realize that you're in a space where I think most people find their their center typically from a a perspective of the three-dimensional space and you know the drawing that's behind me is really uh it's a tapestry of of the multi-dimensional space that you typically see in these kinds of ceremonies and so it becomes 3d itself and then it becomes super multi-d and you're in it and you're you're just you know you're surrounded in it you're made of it you're you're kind of in through and all around it. And you end up becoming comfortable in that very much like the way I think an astronaut would become comfortable with being in zero gravity. And it just takes time and practice. So, you know, once you're, you're a couple hundred ceremonies in to training, you kind of get the hang of it. And, uh, you know, most people just in their life don't get to have that, you know, that kind of experience. So it just takes a long time and it takes a, a practice of dietas and it takes a practice of ceremony to be able to get there. And so that ultimately is, is how you, you figure out how to navigate it and you navigate it through intention. And that's a kind of mindset that we're not really taught. It's we use intention in the West, uh, to guide ourselves to certain decisions. And then after that, we're kind of on autopilot, like you, you decide you're going to drive somewhere and then you just drives there, you know, but the shaman gets around through intention the whole time, holding that intention. So through ceremony, you learn how to hold intention. Uh, literally the, the entirety of the ceremony itself. And that's how you navigate. So it's not just the decision to like, get in the car and go somewhere, but you're literally driving yourself to that place the whole time. And you're aware of that. And when you have a, a room of people that you're working with, you're doing that uh, same job for literally everybody at the same time. So you're collectively guiding and directing through intention and you use supernatural forces to be able to do that. Which the shamans call spirits. And I like to think of more as supernatural forces just because uh spirits seem to confuse a lot of people what you're talking about, just because of uh I think a whole lot of different mythology around it. But these forces are there and you ultimately call upon those forces and wield those forces to uh you know, be able to guide the ceremony and guide the the experience that people are having. If you're a healing shaman, you do that for the purposes of healing people, and um the way you would do that it depends on the illness that the person's suffering. So psychological illnesses get treated different than physical illnesses and ultimately it's through the journey um that the person takes and the visions that they have, how the the healing unfolds or takes place. Like you say, there's this this coming home and then this coming home back to yourself that that kind of takes place. So uh I think that's the first part first way I'd unpick that. The uh the impact, uh, the impact's total, you know when you when you embrace these kinds of practices, they become you and they teach you a series of skills and understandings about life that you just uh, you you become. And so you live it as part of you. You understand the good with the bad. You understand the light with the dark. You understand ultimately the nature and the origin of your own consciousness. And the beauty of these kinds of practices, very different to a lot of other uh, mythologies out there, is that they really shatter belief instead of creating belief. And that can uh, be positive and it can also be negative because people at the same time are very fast to recreate belief. So it's really easy in these ceremonies to delude yourself, have these big aha moments and then decide that that's ultimately now the way things are and kind of, you know, put it in that big brackets and, and just sum that up. But ultimately if you allow yourself to keep exploring, you'll find that the beliefs that you have uh, ultimately fall apart and, many of the things that you mentioned are beliefs along the way that I've confronted like the holograph or the mirror or the, the, you know, I'm creating all of this. And ultimately I came to realize that we are the creators of all of this. And that the way that you described the, the nature of the mirror of consciousness is true, but it's true for all of us at the same time. And the nature of evil I've found to be the nature of our own mythology and it's our own unwillingness to collectively to deal with fundamental facts or fundamental truths just about what we are. And we have yet to out evolve them. And so sadly, collectively within our mythology, the power of darkness and the power of negativity is so much faster to destruction than the power of love and the power of healing and the power of growth. And I can see that in almost anything that is part of uh, just the modern world. So think about how long it takes to build a building compared to demolish it. Think how long it takes to create a human being and have it grow up to become an elder versus its life being uh, taken by a disease or by an accident. It takes seconds for something to die. They can, uh, you know, takes hundreds of years to grow a hectare of forest uh, to its its real primary state, and it can be taken down with bulldozers and chainsaws in minutes. Fire can destroy something immediately, and it's been a paradox of life that I've you know struggled with, but also have tried to understand that for some reason, Earth itself has the capacity to continue life, but destroy huge aspects of it at any given time, uh, much faster than it seems to grow it. So Earth uh, is, is, its own, you know, we are of the Earth life force and Earth as a life force has this ability to uh, spawn itself and also destroy itself simultaneously. And when you live in a forest or you live in nature, you see that around you, you see that the majority of uh, you know, like in the Amazon, the majority of what you you see looks like the, the living. But if you take your imagination and you look at the forest on a cellular level, well over half the forest there is dead. It's all the fallen leaves. It's all the fallen branches. It's all the fallen trees. It's all the decomposition that's becoming the soil in its own right. And everything is ultimately living off it. And so the life lives off of the dead and the soil is root. Re- gets its nutrients from the forest itself and it it's this ever living cycle of life and death and uh it's something that we as a species just has have not dealt with we've not come to terms with it yet and then individually uh you know through this idea of what i talked about already which i think of is like the ever conflict of war has not been ultimately surrendered within ourselves and so that massive conflict has us in this cycle where we're all creating it together. And until we're ready to stop creating it and out evolve it, we're going to continue to suffer it. And I don't think it's just on your shoulders or on my shoulders or anybody's shoulders. And then from, you know, thousands of years ago, we have the idea of a messianic uh, means of uh, salvation, which I think actually removes the responsibility of that salvation from ourselves. And so regardless of the culture you're coming from, if you believe that there is somebody else who is going to ultimately fix the problem, then you don't have to take responsibility for it, especially as a collective. And I think that's where we find ourselves now, where we need to take responsibility for this as a collective. Um, You know, there's talks of a vaccine for COVID. I've yet to see it actually exist and happen yet. And so if there isn't going to be a solution for this yet, we as a collective community are now have to face something that, uh, you know, isn't just one nationality or another. It's not just one race or another. It's not just one group of people or another. It's literally going to ultimately affect everybody. And it's a, you know, a big evolutionary wake up call. So I've taken this to the collective we, the we as a species, the we as humanity, if there's real truth to the meaning of that word. You know it's we of our own evolution and uh it's we of our collective mythology with the responsibility to ultimately do something about this and uh make a decision about the suffering you know it's our decision so we as a group uh, in terms of the people that i interact with we treat suffering as something that we try to mitigate and we use love and healing as a means to try to help others see a way to transcend it. And when we face suffering of all different kinds, we try to help each other in a positive way to be able to plane through it and ultimately rise above and out of it. And, uh, you know, that seems to be a continual process because there just seems to be so much pain and trauma and difficulty that we are collectively as humanity creating for ourselves.
0: Well, wow, That's a very beautiful answer. I, I, <clears throat> I agree with it. And I think that for a lot of people too, it's, um, the emotional part of it, you know, like just seeing the suffering and not know what to do. So there's, there's cognitive dissonance there. It's just like, not look at it. Like, why do we have starvation? 9.1 million people, the easiest solution, food, rice, like it's not very complicated. I feel like it's an opportunity to extend our compassion. You know, even when COVID started coming out, I was like, yeah, like it's, it's sad. People are going to die, but 9.1 million people starving to death. That's a horrendous way to die. And we have a we know what the solution is. It's just so ludicrous that we why haven't we put any kind of media power to that? Is it those people don't count as much? Is it we want to suppress that country so we can take the resources? Like, what is the root of cognitive dissonance, you know, having cognitive dissonance and, and not caring about that? Or the human trafficking um that's going on in the in the world with such high numbers. And so I guess a follow-up question is just something that I I struggle with dealing with things like this is, uh, where do we, what do we do as an individual to create the solution? Like if I, if I'm not aware there's a problem, right. I can't create a solution for it. Um, you know, kind of stick your head in the sand, but some people say, you know, you just focus on what you want. So you don't really look into that. And I don't really buy into that fully because then, then I'm not creating a solution. I feel like one of the best answers I've heard, was from, uh, uh, guests have had on recently, I think is, I can't remember his name, Will, uh, apologies Will, but Will something. And, and he basically said, be aware of it, but don't wear it. So be aware of that suffering and create a solution, but don't wear it. And I feel like the people who are a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more empathetic, they tend to wear it, especially when they see it like, oh my goodness, you know, what can I do? You know, I I can't end starvation for everybody. I'm going to end starvation for one person. And so I'm just curious if you can speak on the emotional element or what we can do to actually affect these positive changes. I think first it
1: starts with coming to an acceptance within yourself that you're alive. And you start by, you know, looking in the mirror and recognizing that you are part and parcel of the universe, not just uh, a thing that's happening here. And, you know, self-awareness is an unbelievable gift. And I consider every single human a true miracle, whether they're a good person or a bad person. There's no duplicate copy of them in the entire universe. And so I think every single person is a miracle and every single person is a change maker. You make change just literally by what you do. Every single thing you say is the first time you say it. Every single breath you take is the first time you take that breath and you'll never take it again every action you make is an action that you'll never do again and it's the nature of just how the universe fundamentally works and so at some point we collectively have to wake up and you don't wake up through a mass awakening like it's spoken about in other kinds of mythologies people wake up when they're ready to and so the first thing is you got to be willing to take a look at the world for what it is in the moment that you decide to wake up it's like same thing when you get born you're in the womb of the belly and then i believe you become born to the womb of the earth and at some point you open your eyes and you look around you and you say Holy cow, this is the earth I'm really living in, not the one that's in here that I'm making up inside my head that's being propagandized and filled with a whole bunch of misinformation. Like, wait, I'm living in the world that's being propagandized filled with a whole bunch of misinformation. And I gotta wake up to that and deal with it. And then I have to face this thing called the heart, because the heart freaks out at that moment. The brain just will just spaz. The brain will, you know, completely lose it in the face of what it's gonna see. And it's you you said like, you know, words, you just tossed them. Out there and to me they're like they they make me want to cringe like human trafficking no that's slavery like hello we i thought we all agreed to abolish that no it's at record numbers (laughs) it's insanity it's absolute insanity and so you know through this idea that you can whitewash uh language and just change the name of the category of it and then people are all going to forget about it through some kind of you know I don't know, blinding that that's put on us. Ultimately people wake up from that and they, and you have to be able to to realize it and look at it and say, yeah, that's really happening. And, and then the heart has to has to come into play because otherwise the brain mind will get scared and freak out. And so you got to do a lot of work on the heart and we've just done very little work on it. As a collective, we spend a lot of time training the brain. We've spent a lot of time in, you know, the most recent part of our evolution, you know, going to school to train this tool, and we've le- left the heart out and the heart has more importance in the mystical uh, aspects of us and in the supernatural spiritual energetic natural uh, expressions of us than more than just beating blood it's not just pumping blood and having kind of a mechanical physical nature and people know that when they when it m- sort of magically turns on and it happens in spiritual awakenings and it happens in different kinds of romantic situations or uh in the presence of other kinds of animals or in the presence of people's own children A lot of people have said they've had this sort of magical heart awakening that happens. And so that has to become part of our everyday life that this, this organ and this stability from within can handle this intensity of things like human trafficking and starvation and, you know, disease and stuff that's happening all around the world. And then what change do we make? Well, I think you start to make the change with intention. And I think everything ultimately starts from intention. And so once you can become aware of it, look at it and not react to it, but know that it's real. So it's not put your head in the sand. It's look right at it and know that it's happening. Be able to look at the statistics and stay stable, be able to understand what's happening in the real world around us and uh, be, o- be okay with it in the sense of a kind of neutrality, but in understanding that now you want to do something about that, then you can start to set the intention to do something about it. Uh, that's where it all starts from. And you can make that decision. And then there's, I think, a myriad of ways that the help ultimately comes together. And it's not just one way. And it's not just help one starving person. And it's not just work at a soup kitchen. and It's not just, you know, help an NGO or make a donation. It ultimately, I think, is an interweb of our own consciousness to agree to make this change together and the thought leaders that are about it will show up and the people who really organize groups well will start organizing those kinds of groups. And the people that will, you know, talk about it behind the scenes will talk about it. And you would ultimately find your place within that web, you know, doing something that would help make that change. And I personally think that most of the things that have already been created don't work. So sort of my greatest criticism of the effort that's been done to, to try to make this change is that it's ultimately been ineffective at, at a total state it's effective in helping in certain kinds of ways but it certainly hasn't you know stopped any of the great atrocities that we're facing collectively as, as humanity and so while we've had a lot of support and help along the way and there's a lot more to come there's still obviously a lot more to learn and a lot more to do and so I think when I when I see that, instead of getting down about it, I just think, well, that's in, in the evolution of our species. It's in our infancy uh, to start to really care about all the people we don't know. It's not very, it's just not common. Most people care about the people that they know and the people they don't know are just completely unimportant to them. And so I think having a, a greater imagination and openness towards uh, the fact that we're all in this together is just now starting to become more important in certain parts of uh, the collective consciousness and that that will ultimately grow and as you set your intention to now help make that change and to be part of that change you'll naturally find your place within it and it might take longer than you think it might be a harder path than you think Um, the sacrifices that you may uh, agree to because of the you know the desire to be part of that change kind of unknown until you're part of it and you're you're deciding to uh ultimately do something about it but they will happen the intention guides us in this life and it it sends us in a direction and a path and it's ultimately guides us to who we meet and who we talk to and that grows in its own natural way and uh the intraweb of humanity and consciousness has now uh Unified in the form of technology, which is how we could have this kind of conversation from all over the world and also share similar thoughts at the same time. And so the the tools are there. And now it's about bringing those tools together. And I think it ultimately is a, you know, a change that comes from lots of people being interested in seeing that change and participating in it. And in reality, I think we're in its infancy.
0: Well, man, well, that was a beautiful and extraordinary answer. I just want to throw huge questions at you and just sit back and listen because that was epic. <laughs> um, so I, I, I want to move it a little bit into um, like the, the dieta and what you're doing with the Trinity retreat program. But before I want to do that, I want to get weirder and just get your... Uh, uh, feedback on it you know with doing um ayahuasca and DMT and there's a lot of people who listen to Joe Rogan you know I know that uh, Aubrey Marcus just wrote about you again he holds you in high regard so I guess that uh you were his shaman for a lot of uh experiences and, and anyone's your shaman. If, if they're the one holding space for you, that's like, all right, you are like my hero forever. Like I was, I was in the abyss. You made sure I came back like you're my hero. like <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I definitely see why the respect is there. Um, you know, I, I remember my shaman, uh, you know, little tiny, he was so tiny, um, but so powerful, man. It was, it was so good. And, uh, his English was, was broken, but like, It was, uh, it was always the most profound, it was always some of the most profound and humbling experiences. And so to kind of get off that track, some people say they communicate with beings, right? They say, some people are saying, um, they're actually using different psychedelics and mushrooms or different things to say, um, this is how we connect, get on that frequency to connect to actual beings that are giving us communication. Now, because I've done these things, I'm like, you know what? Maybe down with that possibly on the flip side of that one of the native americans i worked with he said don't change your consciousness um, because of uh you want to know what's real or not real and i thought oh maybe it could be like maybe that could be negative and i was like well it depends it could open stuff up right because you're in a whole new portal of a different space you don't understand um but also a lot of people in that portal are getting tremendous healing and it's breaking like i say is like people make a mental map of the world and they'll have a rut re- that they live their entire life with. And ayahuasca or or our um mushrooms can slap that rut right off your face immediately, you know what I mean? Um in the right scenario. And so my question to you is do you think that that it could potentially open up a doorway to connect with beings? If so, could those beings be good or bad? Um you've had more experiences than most people, so maybe you actually can kind of open that doorway and say, oh, Hey, like now we can understand this language. Um, You called it supernatural. And Terrence McKenna, it talks about experiences with beings but also i think what did he what did he do one time he like took a bunch of acid and then he smoked dmt like so much of it, it was like then i was in the realm with the elves I was like yeah of course you were <laughs> and I <was> like
1: <laughs> I, don't you were. I don't recommend that i don't recommend that
0: yeah it's like oh, i don't know if you've ever heard him talk about that but he just says like <laughs> oh my god he was like uh you know fear and loathing in Las Vegas, like times 10, man, (laughs) Terrence McKenna was intense, but I I can totally see how that might be possible and it wouldn't surprise me. And so with that rant, I am guess I'm I'm wondering if you can ground that out a little bit, because what I prefer with the shamans and people wanting, because people will still ask me about ayahuasca and different things. I'm like, you need to go to a place where they respect it. And it's about ceremony and the diet and why you're doing it. What intention are you bringing? Um, you know, and, and that changes the whole experience and it's so fundamentally important as a part of it. Um, and now all of those other things of, of possibility, I'm just curious, you know, what your take is on it.
1: Well, that is, that is the <laughs> rabbit hole. So, you know, I appreciate that. And, uh, I'm happy to talk about it. I've been talking about it actually, uh, for years. So, you know, that's what got me into this, uh, is that I started seeing beings. So I, in my early 20s, had a spiritual awakening and in it, I started to see beings and had that deep question, is this real? Is this this not real? What's going on? And I went to a shaman and a psychologist and uh, both told me what was going on was real and that I was fine and that I was grounded and what I needed to do was figure it out. And so uh, I ended up in the Amazon and the easiest way to talk about seeing beings in the Amazon is that it is considered completely normal not abnormal. So it just flips it literally right on its head. And the Amazonian shamanic medicines and the Amazonian shamanic practices of the people that are called medico vegetalistas, they're not called shamans. Shamans is a Western uh, word that has brought in to try to describe these doctors of the forest or these mystic doctors of the forest. And they go by the name medico vegetalista, which just means uh, doctor of plants or doctor of vegetation. And, they have a very clear mythology and belief about the nature of how their medicine works. And so they say the plants are alive and the plants that are medicinal plants have doctor spirits or doctor beings. And you go into a visionary realm and the medical vegetalista or the shaman has made friends with these doctor spirits or doctor beings. And, The shaman is going to call to the Doctor Spirits through the chants called Ikaros and is going to invoke them and bring them into the ceremony. And those are the beings that are going to perform the healings and the different kinds of transformations that people are going to experience. And so they have literally uh, zero separation in the idea of the beings from the plants themselves and the plants themselves having an anthropomorphized expression of that being so meaning the the beings can represent themselves in geometric colors and patterns and they can represent themselves in completely human form or humanoid form or animal form depending on the nature of the uh, plant itself and they are common they are understood in a a pantheon of uh, entities just like your polytheistic religions like Hinduism has a pantheon of deities that are known about, or your ancient Greek religions have a pantheon of deities or demigods that are believed in. These quote-unquote beings or spirits of the forest um, of these medicinal plants are all uh, catalogued. They are named. They are known. The lineages pass down the ability to communicate with them in a very sacred language called Ikaro from one generation to another generation. And it's how the medicine ultimately gets practiced. And like I said, it is considered a hundred percent, completely, totally normal and part of the mystery and the mysticism of the Amazon itself. Those beings are uh, typically seen in visions um, in a in a visionary state where you get into a, a this this. Uh, This kind of clarity of consciousness—it's not like being wasted on a a drug. You get into this hyper lucid state of consciousness, and it's like your senses can now take in billion times more than they used to be able to take in. And there's lots of people who've tried to describe this in all different kinds of phenomena. It's very hard to explain, but uh, it's like your hearing becomes super hearing, your smell becomes super smell, your sight becomes super sight, your feeling becomes super feeling, and the distance that you can perceive seems to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow grow to be much larger than even the physical space around you. And typically within that space, there is this, uh, matrix of energy. Like I said, like the patterns behind me, but in a multi D formation and within them, they can turn into all different kinds of shapes. So they can become tunnels, they can, uh, they can move, they can swirl, they can be very psychedelic, they can be still, they can pulse with the beats and the rhythms of the ceremonies themselves. And it's through that matrix that these quote-unquote beings take shape and form. And so you can see it like uh, there's geometry there, and then all of a sudden the geometry looks like a person, And then the person starts to take a greater amount of shape. And then all of a sudden, it's like the person's talking to you, but the person doesn't have to speak to you verbally. So the person can communicate literally within your mind. And the, the hardest part to differentiate in that moment is, is that being separate from me? Or is that being actually a part of me? And I think at that state of consciousness, when you're that open in your consciousness, it's like Venn diagrams. It's like overlaps. It's not like there's you and there's me and there's two minds, but it's like there's one mind where within you there is the center of your mind and within me there's the center of my mind and they're kind of overlapped. And in that overlap is where these entities or beings are, are, are hanging out. They're part of the collective consciousness. You could make the, the statement that they are truly in, individualized from us, uh, but no one ever sees them except for the people seeing them so so how could you ultimately distinguish it becomes a a paradoxical impossibility to be able to distinguish that thing uh independent of human consciousness because it's human consciousness that's seeing that thing talking about that thing and you know supposedly interacting with that thing now in my own experience uh i've seen now literally oh gosh i it's hard to explain the, the numbers but let's say uh just to approximate millions of different kinds. So literally millions of different classifications of them. And in a typical ceremony, when you're working with 30, 40, 50 people, as the shaman in the ceremony, you're going to work with multitudes of them literally in the numbers of billions. And when people start to hear that, they think that that's completely insane until they're actually in the experience and they're having it. And then they're all there. And, um, not only are they literally considered part of the medicine and the practice, they're also considered to have hierarchical powers of control over um, other versions of those spirits. They're called head medicine spirits. They're also given names. They're called sincharunas and ayarunas. And those spirits have the ability to manage a whole bunch of these other kinds of beings. So you could call on in the ceremony a sincharuna or an ayaruna of... Uh, had medicine spirit of a certain kind of tree, like Ana Caspi, which is the name of a tree, or she which is the name of a tree. And then you could have now the multitudes, literally hundreds of thousands of that kind of spirit, just like there's millions and millions of that tree growing in the forest, ultimately show up to come to the ceremony. And people will literally see them in ceremony together. The next day, they'll talk about them, they'll describe them, they'll paint them, they will draw them. And they will have not come from any kind of mythology that they have experienced on their own. So uh, they literally be, will be something unlike anything that they've ever seen before. So the first time they ever had an interaction with this kind of shape of this kind of quote unquote being was in a visionary space. So it's not that their mind's making it up coming from you know some ancient text that they looked at or some visionary art that they saw or something like that. It literally is First contact in the visionary realm and now bringing that from the visionary realm into the physical space and creating an effigy or a kind of artwork or something to depict or describe or creating words and story to try to depict and describe those kinds of beings. So uh, that is... I mean that's the the biggest question that you asked it, you know you could talk about this literally probably for 100 hours and and keep picking it apart. Uh I think if you if you trip out way too hard, you know, which I don't ever recommend and I don't recommend the hero dose. I don't recommend doing that in those ways. There there are very few people who are very uh who are capable of that and can stay sane and okay through those kinds of experiences. And because they are capable of that, uh very much like anyone else who has kind of a, a super capacity, it's very easy to recommend that to somebody else because to you, it's just normal. you just like, oh yeah, try that thing, it worked for me. But most people do not have the ability to keep their psyche together through those kinds of experiences. And so, um, you know, the sort of Terence McKenna expression of going to the point where you see the elves or you see the gnomes, uh, et cetera, uh, is very real um i've seen many different beings that look like that and i actually have some really interesting stories about those kinds of beings uh we actually had one uh come home with us once after a, a, an experience and decide to hide things all around our house which is a pretty interesting story um until we took it back to its home and learned that it's never a good idea to bring one of those things back into suburbia uh so so um you know, I think it's the responsibility that you mentioned is unbelievably important. And those beings are not always good. And that's, I think, something that's really important to understand. The people who train in these kinds of visionary arts, um, learn how to pick apart that kind of visionary soup, this, this intramix of a lot of different visions and a lot of different things like beings. And they learn to, uh, have the good ones there to help you and the bad ones there to get them out or to keep them away from the ceremony. And the people who are not proficient enough who are wielding this or people who do this on their own, who get caught up in those kinds of beings can often have a really bad experience and then a very lingering bad experience after it and not understand why. And, um, you know, I understand that it is not part of the popular culture to uh, really talk about these these beings. But I think it's really important because they are part and parcel of psychedelic experiences. Lots and lots of people have talked about them. And if they're in the visionary art, I think they need to become part of what is spoken about within the, the psychedelic cultures and uh, accept the fact that in the traditional societies, they are part of what makes a shaman capable of healing and or powerful. Without the medicine beings, there are no shamans um, and there is no healing. And so the shamans all agree that they learn from the, those beings, those beings literally teach them, they teach them how to wield them. And it's through the ability to wield them that they perform their healing. And, um, it is not just localized to that specific ceremony. They are considered to be real beyond that. And, um, in my own life, I've had uh, so many different experiences of them. It's just, uh, like I said, a part of normalcy.
0: God damn. (laughs) I asked the right question. I love, uh, holy shit. (laughs) Now I just want to go, all the way in and stay here until the morning, and just keep asking. You know, we can go one more. We can go one more. I'll tell you. I got lost. I'll tell you.
1: I'll tell you a quick story. Okay, I got, okay? Lost, I got yeah, lost. I got lost in the Amazon once. Okay, this is a place you don't want to be lost. All right, for real. Yeah, like you can get lost in a city, right? And you can ask someone for help. But I got alone lost in the Amazon. I was like a good hour and a half away from my lodge, which was like which was base camp, and I was in primary forest by myself. (laughs) okay i decided to go out hiking on my own and i got off trail and i was bushwhacking and all of a sudden i turned around and i was lost i could not tell where i had come from i could not tell which direction it was i had no compass i had no gps i had no map i had literally nothing but some mapacho tobacco all right now Mofacha tobacco is a kind of uh, ceremonial tobacco that they use in the Amazon. It's considered a medicinal plant. It's used in ceremony. It's part of the the typical ceremonies themselves. And uh, there is the belief of a being that's called the Chuyachaki. All right. The Chiyachaki is considered to be sort of a, a gnome kind of dwarf spirit of the, the forest. You can look up the Chiyachaki online. There's there's mythology all throughout the Amazon of the Chiyachaki and the Chiyachaki is considered to know everything about the forest. There is these areas of the forest that are considered to be the areas of those spirits. It's where that spirit is seen by lots of people, not just seers or visionary people. But this is a well-known mythology of the forest. And I was literally lost. I could not have screamed. I could not have shouted. I could not have banged wood i could not have made a signal fire i could have literally done nothing to get help from where i was i was in such an isolated place and so i sat down and i literally decided to use the Chiyachaki spirit to get me out of the forest so This is a real-life survival scenario. Nightfall is coming. This is, you know, life and death danger in the forest. And so I know from the mythology that the Chiachaki likes the tobacco. So I take out one of the Machuacho tobaccos for him. Yeah, or it. So I mean, I don't know the gender of it. It doesn't really have a gender, but so I say, okay, this is for you. And I put it down on the ground as an offering and I light one for myself. And I say, I'm going to sit here and smoke this until you tell me where to go. <laughs> so about halfway through smoking this mapacho, I hear clearly ringing in my head loud, but in my head, not like a voice from outside my head, ringing in my head, go to the right. It's all I hear from where I'm sitting, go to the right. So I know you can walk in a circle and not know it. So I mark that tree with a machete. Yeah. So I have a machete and I mark the tree and I start going and I go about, uh, 10, 15 minutes. And I come to one of those areas that's considered one of those areas of the Chiochaki spirit in the forest. This is an area of the forest I'd never been in before. Had no idea that it was there. It was not on, like I said, there was no trail. I was literally going just through the forest, cutting my way with a machete through it. I sit down, I notch another tree there to make sure it's not the same place that I started. And I get told, keep going, but now go a little bit to the left, but keep going kind of straight. And now a little bit to the left. I walk about another 10, 15 minutes and I come to another place of this forest, what's called the area of the Chiyachaki. And you can tell because of a certain kind of plant that lives there. This process went on for four times over about 45 minutes and Uh, I, I kept following exactly what I had been hearing, right? same voice, same, uh, voice that I had heard in the ceremonies when the shamans would call this kind of spirit to the ceremony. And I had, you know, made friends with the spirit. So I'm, I'm trusting this, but I'm also completely scared off my face that I'm just lost in the forest. And, you know, this is, this is literally life and death. It is literally a very dangerous place. And so... I, I continue to follow the Chiyotaki voice. And uh, after the fourth time I see the, I go to the forest of the Chiyotaki, never the same one twice, I come broadside into a trail. And it was the first time in 45 minutes I had seen a trail. And it was definitely a human trail. This was, uh, you know, less than a meter wide, but definitely a well-trodden human trail. And the, the, the joy, That went through me. The elation that hit at that moment blew out the connection that I had. And I didn't even think, am I supposed to go left or am I supposed to go right onto this trail? And so I just walked left. And I am not kidding. I hear ringing out louder in the angriest voice you could imagine. Hey, dumbass, it's the other (laughs) direction. Literally, <laughs> literally. So I stop and I turn around. <laughs> literally. I'm not kidding. I can't believe it. Right. I've called literally a dumbass. <laughs> but I t- stopped. <laughs> I turn around. I walk down that path. It takes me ten minutes and I come to a fork in the road to a trail that I knew. And I literally from that point walked straight back to my camp. And I got there right before nightfall. And one of those beings called the Chia we walked me right out of the forest. No kidding. Happened. True story. Uh, It was in my first year in the Amazon. And after that, I had no doubts about this whatsoever. The most amazing thing about the forest story, though, is that I went to the locals and I told them and they know that part of the forest, you know, they've lived out there for generations. They know that part of the forest. And they told me that in their understanding of that part of the forest, there's only one of the areas where there is that area of the forest called the chakra of the Chiyachaki. There's only one area and I saw four. So I have no way to know uh, whether they were or they were not. I have no way to know whether I was in a visionary trance, but I did mark each one so that I would know that I was not in the same place. And I did make sure that rationally I was in a new place each time. And I did follow literally directly that voice that was clear and only that voice that was telling me exactly where to go and it walked me without failure right out of the forest and back to my lodge
0: wow bro well that is an astonishing story and i can relate to it because i've had um experiences where it's life or death now i didn't have a being walk me out but the presence and the awareness you feel when you're like oh shit i am going to die if this does not go correctly I am in a seriously bad situation and you have to focus all your energy on trusting something. It, it, you know what I mean? If you're religious, if you believe in God, you're calling it God, Buddha, you know, your aunt, whoever, cause you're like, this is <laughs> serious business. So we need to uh, update the education for the boy scouts and the girl guides. Like you don't even need your navigation or compass. Give you a couple, uh, Mupacho cigarettes. You sit down, <laughs> light these up. Doesn't matter where you are. You're totally fine. It you get yourself, <laughs> works a hundred percent of the time. You just gotta, you just gotta wait. You're perfect.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Life and death definitely will make you invoke. It will make yeah. you start invoking for sure.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think I think that's one of the things, um, you know, psychedelic medicine can bring or that seriousness to life, right? You talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, like being alive, like recognizing that you're alive. I feel like many people are alive, but they're not fully living. They're not really engaging. You know, I'm actually uh, coaching somebody right now, a super talented musician, a young DJ, really smart. Um, you know, when DJ people think about like, uh, I don't know, like Maybe my, maybe it's my own mentality of like the DJs like going around, but this kid is like, he's different. He loves music. He's a producer. He's educated. Um, And so he's, he's like selling me the last little bit about uh, how he's going to go to do more tech. He learned about computers. Now he's going to do a little bit more tech so he can get more money. So then he can go back to music. And for like two months, I've been basically like, and I'm not going to tell him what to do. I'm just giving him exercises to reflect and whatever. And recently, sadly, one of his friends has died and we were talking today and he's like, yeah, man, I realized like, you know, I got to engage in, you know, what I'm passionate about and, you know, really design it. And that requires some faith, right? To design what you're uniquely here to do, to be fully alive, to pursue that. You need to kind of call out to the universe, Right. You need to call them, like, please, please show me a way to do this podcast. You know, please show me a way to be able to travel to Egypt because I need to go to Egypt with these people. And this trip is 12,000 bucks. And I'm a broke snowboard bum. And I have a podcast and it's basically volunteer. I can't, I can't go. You got to show me a way. And it's incredible how, what do you want to call it? Like the Chua Chaki fella or whatever it is. It's something that you're communicate, you're communing with something bigger than you right? And so I feel like that's such a, a lost experience on the general population. We're such in um, ease and also following the path of like following the fish. Get what's safe. Um, just continue to follow the line. Don't really question, you know, just f- follow that protocol. And a lot of times people get sick or they have a midlife crisis, then they go see you And, you know, they have these experiences to reconnect to spirit, to reconnect to themselves, to reconnect with this communion, you know, with something greater. So it doesn't necessarily need to be something specific like this particular God or this particular entity. It is the expression of that humility of something bigger. I need some help. And um, it seems to be in times of crisis, people will go to that space. But I feel like that space and that energy is always with us. And it's always willing to engage and it's always willing to guide us. And I feel like living in that way, like making your life, the prayer is a much more empowering and beautiful place to live. Not a question. You want to comment?
1: No, I mean, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I just like the idea of living within the prayer. That's just such a beautiful way of saying that, you know, just, uh, living, living, the, living, within the prayer, turning to that something greater is source. I mean, where do we come from? Ask the big questions. Where do we come from? It's easy to be self-identified. It's easy to know your reflection in the mirror, but how did you really happen? And what is this great evolution that turned uh, space dust into the the earth itself? I like to ask people when we're on retreat, how old they are, you know? And I, I like to ask them because they always tell me some number in decades. You know, it's the way we've been taught to discuss how old we are, but the matter that makes up the earth itself, the actual molecules, the atoms are over 12 billion years old. And Mm -hmm. so that's the same matter that makes up your body right now. So my body, your body, every listener's body is made up of matter that has been here, that has been part of the universe, part of this galaxy for over 12 billion years. It's source matter. And it is, it's what we're actually made of. And so when we have that ability to turn to the universe and ask that big question, you know, what are we, who are we, where are we from, why are we here, or what are we doing, and reach out to it for help, the help is there. We're not separate from the rest of the universe. It's easy to think we are, and it's simply by, by just looking at the distances between us and walls or, or us and another person. But the reality is we are part and parcel of not only the earth, but the earth and the galaxy and the, ga- the interweb of the totality of what this universe is. And so, you know, we've been taught to think about prayer and we've been taught to think about spirit in this perspective that it's something that I have to stop the rest of what I'm doing to engage in and be a part of. And I don't see it that way. I see it as a, as an understanding of a, of lifestyle. It's a certain way of approaching life itself. And when you ally yourself and align yourself with source and you ally yourself with great spirit or whatever you want to call it, I don't think the the words matter at all. I think that's literally symbolic linguistics. It's sapiens making sounds to try to describe something that's beyond the explicable. It's however we all got here together in this uh, life in the first place. So whatever that is to you, regardless, we share the universe. The universe is... For all here we are together, regardless of how many planets there are, regardless of how big it is, regardless of of how many light years people describe it in, or how many years of age they describe it in. It it created everything. And that's something that to me is a fundamental miracle. And so I just think that that reaching out to that and being part of that and recognizing the source of that and connecting to the creation of that is uh, it's innate. And when you do that, there is an untold benefit that I think every person that has reached out to in a real way uh, for support and for help has received. And there are lots of different mythologies, religions, and spiritualities that have discussed how that's supposed to be done. But ultimately, they're all still talking about the same great phenomena. So they're all reaching out to the great phenomena of the, the creation of this universe in its own right, and I think people will fight and debate over the, the rationale behind that, but that, that's missing the point. The point is that it's there for your uh, support and connection and help if you're willing to connect with it, and it's just waiting for you to connect. You're the, the great gatekeeper of the portal of that connection. And it can be just how you live. It doesn't have to be something else. And I think in a modern life that's so busy already with so many different tasks just to fulfill a day and comply with what's necessitated, when you can use practices that make that part of your daily life, it makes it just that much easier. And so, you know, ultimately that's what we try to share and what we teach is how to be able to make that connection to source and to spirit uh, something that's just part of daily life as the way that you approach the day instead of something that you have to stop your day to uh, to get in contact with. And the people that live in that way feel supported and feel connected by something greater than themselves. And the amount of fear and anxiety that they have is obviously a lot less because they feel a presence of something that is ultimately uh, greater and supportive and loving, kind, and helpful, and makes those kinds of things, like you said, possible, makes the the podcast possible, it makes somebody fulfilling their dreams possible, and helps give them guidance and direction. And it can be because of the mythology broken down into an individual creature or being or spirit, or because of a religion, it could take the shape of a Buddha, or because of uh, other beliefs, it could you know look like an angel. It, it's really irrelevant, I think. I think all of that's coming from the the great source of all that is universe and all that is consciousness and being willing to turn to that is the the true humility and the opening of the heart and the connection that we're really striving for in the first place so living that prayer i just think is a beautiful way of saying uh you know something that i truly support
0: amazing man so beautifully and and eloquently put so (laughs) thanks um as you were as you were chatting there um I was just really enjoying the way that you're, you're putting all that together and, and just to really understand it's a way of life and not, you know, something you schedule it in, you know what I mean? It's like where our day, so many people's days is a task list, right? And they're like, okay, well at six or in the morning is my meditation, which is good. You should meditate, right? Oh, well you should, you can meditate if you wish it can be helpful. Uh, it's not the only way. But um, not these stages, like it's just the way you live. You can bring that presence and power into everything. And that's a really huge distinction. It's a, it's a, it's very transformative if you kind of get that point. So, yeah, I 100% agree. And I love the way that you phrased it. You know, I want to touch on, you know, what how you transitioned over there and, and talk a little bit about plants, because when I've, you know, learned from the Native American elders and how they would um, talk about plants and, and plant healing and, you know, how they... All their medicine came from plants because that makes sense. That's where medicine came from. Now what we're experiencing in this world, which is very interesting, is um, you know, the COVID thing with the vaccines. I never looked into vaccines. Now I did, and there's like a lot of very negative stuff about it. Um, but we have plants that do miraculous healing. And people, you know, my cousin's been on this for a long time. You know, some of the stuff that she would go get at the health store, she can't get anymore. It's now um labeled that you can't access it. My friend, Dr. Bear Lando, who um, talked about germ theory and healed, he became well-known for curing a lot of people of cancer. And he would never say that. They would just get better. He would never say that because he understood what would happen. He actually had a friend um, that lost his life because he kept, there was two doctors and he said, Bear, we're curing people of cancer. And he's like, don't say that. Don't say that. And he goes, you know, one day that guy ended up not living anymore. Um, Something terrible happened to him. And so it's like a real thing. And so Bear, even to send me stuff, he's like, this is uh, what it is, but it's to get around the FDA orcs because they're removing some of these things. So number one, some of these plant medicines and things that we have are being taken off the shelf. Two, if you know anything about Monsanto and like you can't even, this was years ago. Now this is old news, but paying, telling farmers they can't use their own seeds, that they have to go buy these seeds made from someone else the most unnatural thing you've ever heard of disconnecting us from the earth and nutrition. And so then you would go to a culture that you're learning from that have thousands of years. I don't know how you could tell me how old their culture is. I don't know. Thousands of years of understanding plants in the forest and their connection with life and connection with the land, understanding what these plants do, um, can be miraculous. And that's really where healing come from. And kind of, the, kind of rambling all over, but in 1910, that was a pivotal moment because that's when Rockefeller and Carnegie, Carnegie hijacked modern medicine because Rockefeller had, uh, he was a big oil baron, he wanted to put uh, petroleum in, in pharmaceuticals. And so that's what gave rise. That, that report in 1910 made anything holistic, natural, medicine, plant, all that stuff that makes perfect sense, Ayurvedic, it made it quackery. And the only way to get better was from a pill or a vaccine. And now we're living in that now, and, and we have these pharmaceutical companies that are the number one lobbyists in all the uh, governments, including the states, and the number one purchasers of advertising in uh, big media. And so this is a huge issue. And so I just want to kind of say all that to drive the importance of what's possible with medicine, what's possible with plant medicine, as in even just eating a uh, spinach is plant medicine. It might not make you trip out, but it's going to do uh, a ton of positive things for you so i know that that's what you work with 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 these uh dietas and every time i would do an ayahuasca thing one of my favorite things and least favorite things was doing the diet but it was always a reset right i would i'd piss around i'd be drinking too much coffee you know my diet would be here and there but the diet that they recommend i would always strongly follow it always reset and it made me think differently it changed my digestion it um it did so many positive things. It's just a reset. And so often like I said we just get into this rut. And people get into these ruts for years and they never change. They never have an opportunity to reset. They're not checking how much sugar they're eating and all this crap and most of us are eating total nonsense. Even if you think you're eating well on the spectrum of what's possible, it's probably just mediocre. Um unless you're one of those, you know, people really know what's going on, that's not me. And so that's kind of my rant. So I want you to just uh talk a little bit about you know, what you're doing with the Trinity Retreat program and and what you're doing as far as like um the diets and
1: helping people understand food. Sure. Uh well first thank you so much. You know, what we did during this period of time since our center got shut down, maestro Christian and I got together and we decided to create a program that we call the Trinity Retreat. And you can find it by going to Trinity Retreat or sorry, Blue Morpho Retreats dot world. And um So world, and there you'll find the Trinity Retreat Program. We basically take three pillars of uh, mind, body, spirit. So we have the idea of a shamanic dieta, the idea of shamanic ceremonies and body practices to tie a transformative experience together into one. Uh, It's really easy to do just one or the other, but to bring them all together is what really gives the real power to the experience. And so the first aspect of it is the shamanic dieta. And the shamanic dieta does really two things. One is it's a detox, which I think, like you said, there's so many other kinds of environmental toxins and poisons and things that we eat that we don't even know that we're taking in microplastics, all these other things. Uh, it's an opportunity to flush the body, flush the system, reset the digestion, reset the organs and just get everything out of the body that's bad and not working for it anymore. And people find different kinds of fasts and detoxes to be really difficult. And that's where the shamanic aspect of it really comes into play. What we do is we teach you how to use other kinds of plants, natural herbs and flowers that are found literally all over the world. They're a hundred percent legal. Many of them are part of our normal foods like garlic, ginger, turmeric, thyme, rosemary, basil, spinach, like you said, uh, that goes into the, the juices that people have as part of the, the cleanse. And we make a tea out of it, just like we do in the Amazon. And we walk everybody through the invocation of the plant spirit of these natural healing beings uh, that come from the, the herbs and they come from the flowers. And so it's not only drinking it for the the chemical components that are found within it or the vitamins, minerals, et cetera. It's drinking it for the spirit, just like we talked about already. And we teach you how to be able to do that. So we teach you how to gain the power and the strength of those those plants to be able to help you have a relationship with them that gives you the strength to be able to go through the detox experience. And it makes it, one, much easier to go through and also uh, much deeper cleanse. Then in terms of the ceremonies, what we found is that the ceremonies are really powerful using other techniques other than psychedelics. And so there are other kinds of plants that we can use that are almost as powerful, if not as powerful as psychedelic plants in that ceremonial setting to be able to awaken their properties and their spirits as well within the body. And so we utilize ayahuasca just like in an ayahuasca ceremony or shamanic ceremony in the Amazon, uh, we utilize all of the same connections to the different kinds of healing energies and healing beings that we've been talking about we bring all of that into ceremony and we teach a kind of breath work that we call trinity breath work to be able to take somebody into that altered state of consciousness to be able to connect and we've also found that this is an unbelievably important reset for people that have had experiences with psychedelics that hasn't really gone very well When it hasn't been positive and, uh, there's that lingering effect that is negative for them, or they've ended up with shamans that really didn't have their best interest at heart. We found that this is a process for them to be able to reset that through the dieta and the ceremonies. And then to bring it really to the body, we have then body practices that include yoga, qigong, and our own practice that we call flochi, which, uh, Maestro Christian and I invented as a receptive restorative practice. And we take you literally step by step through the process. So it starts with uh, an opening lecture and going just through how we use technology to be able to stay connected through the process itself. People can participate from all over the world, which is incredible because uh, before that, people would have to come and find us in the Amazon, which wasn't always so easy or even possible for a lot of people. There are also a lot of people who couldn't participate in these kinds of experiences for different kinds of health reasons, because a lot of the different psychedelic plants have uh, just a real long list of uh, contraindications that you just can't uh, use if you on different kinds of medicines or if you have other kinds of health concerns. And so this became something that really was available to all if they were interested in these kinds of practices. And so uh, we broadcast them. Uh, we've been broadcasting ceremonies and experimenting in the way of being able to utilize the Internet as a means of doing these practices and communicating these practices now since 2014 so we have extensive experience broadcasting to people all over the world and it's fascinating and i know it's a a, for some people it's a it's a hard thing to wrap their head around how you could from home get into this kind of state and into a trance and really experience the presence of the power of the kinds of uh, things we've been talking about but all i can say is that we've had now thousands of people that have experienced it and they have uh, unbelievably transformative experiences being able to go into trance Utilizing just the breath work and utilizing uh, the different kinds of plants that are part of the teas and then we teach you how to harness this life force that's innate and real and part of the plants itself to boost your immune system to be able to try to use holistic medicine to treat other kinds of health concerns that you have and to be able to spiritually and energetically cleanse it's a reset it's a it's a total mind body spirit. Uh, cleanse and it's a real awakening for you and something that we found to be unbelievably powerful. It happened because of this huge disrupt that we went through in terms of our own center. But the beauty of it is that it's going to be something that we continue to offer uh, well after whatever goes on in the transformations that are going to take place with uh, businesses like ours and COVID because uh, no one really knows whenever they'll start again. And, you know, so these online retreats is something that we're going to continue doing now into the future since we've had such an incredible response from people that have been on them. It's amazing to, uh, to see and hear about transformations from all over the world happening at the same time. So the last retreat we did, we had people from over 15 countries participate in it. Which is, uh, in, you know, incredible in its own right, and it's also amazing to be able to share this wisdom from the Amazon. Like you said, it's it is thousands and thousands of years. No one knows exactly how long, but it is at least five to ten thousand years, and if not longer, of unbroken lineages and traditions understanding the way plants have medicinal and curative properties, and so we walk you step by step. Through that experience it doesn't matter how much of a beginner or how much of an expert you are we go into it together and it's an opportunity in a community of people that are like-minded that are filled with heart and love and positivity to get through this idea of isolation and separation to an interconnectedness both of consciousness and mind and to share that in an opportunity to promote our natural health and the well-being of our mind body and spirit and to boost the immune system.
0: Amazing man that sounds wonderful. Sounds like yeah sounds really cool. And you know it's interesting because there's so much out there on diets health green juice vegans cleanses you name it right but immediately when you talk about the plants and what you're doing it just sounds like a whole level deeper you know what i mean and it sounds uh more grounded and more appealing to me anyway but uh you know it's just kind of my my way of thinking, I like to go grassroots, and it seems like it's just a deeper understanding of plants and what's what you're capable of with a community that's like not looking for the fad. You know, I guess that's the big distinction, right? There's all like these the green juices, which they may as well they might be excellent. I don't know. I'm not knocking them. Just what I'm saying is like it's like, oh, it's like they hype it up and they've got the slogan, you know, I got your 12 superfoods in there and it's all gonna be good. Um and maybe it might be so, but this seems just so much deeper, so much more grounded, and I feel like more empowering. So it sounds sounds amazing to me. Um, man, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um just listening to your answers really makes me reflect and and I enjoy it. Is there anything that you wish that I had asked you or that you want to chat about before we close it? And then I'll also make sure, you know, let people know where they can, they can find you and all the information and stuff like that.
1: Sure. Uh, I think the other thing I would just like to talk about is the the fact that, you know, psychedelic experiences and the positive aspects of them have been spoken about a ton around the world during Uh, really the last 10 years, there's been a huge explosion of interest in those kinds of experiences. And kind of like talking about the beings, there's also taboo about talking about the difficulties that people have had. And there are unbelievable miraculous stories out there of people that have obviously uh, seen the brighter side of that. And there's also a lot of people that have had experiences that, um, you know, have been really difficult and traumatic in their own right. And I just want to let you know that there is a way to get past that and there is a way to heal that. And um, what we do with the Trinity Retreats is a means to be able to help you get past that. And it doesn't require psychedelics. When somebody has those kinds of experiences in the Amazon and they need to be healed, they get healed first through that idea of dieta. And it's something that's part of thousands of years of tradition as the way to reset after these kinds of experiences if they haven't gone well for you. And so I just want you to know that there's support and help out there for you. And it's okay uh, if the experiences weren't 100 percent positive or if it seems like there's some kind of lingering negative effect, because you can reset from that and you can heal from that and you can move on from it. And uh, like I said, that's something that we do and that we focus on as a way of uh, helping people. And so, you know, if you've had that experience, please check us out so that you can get the help that you need. And we would love to be able to be there for you.
0: That's amazing, man. Well, that's, that's incredibly rare. I've, I've heard of those experiences before. Um, Obviously going to Burning Man a few times, there's a lot of psychedelics in that realm and, and maybe not in the most ceremonial capacity, that's for sure. And, and to have people who understand that and can provide a solution for it, I think is, is massive because You know, I've heard a lot of those stories and I don't know how to heck to help them. You know, it's like, that's, that's beyond mine. I was like, you shouldn't Same with ayahuasca, someone was asking me like, oh, where should I go? I was like, all I know is you need to get a fantastic shaman. You need to get the best shaman. Do not piss around with, you know, a weekend person. It is not. You know, and you better be serious and you better not be doing this for some sort of carnival ride because you want to see something cool because that is probably not going to be what's going to happen to you. So, uh, you know, if you go in like that. So, yeah, that's that's incredibly important work. And I'm very glad that you're out there to provide that kind of a service. And just a quick side note: if people are listening to this, they should just check it out on YouTube. Because if you stare at your face long enough with that art behind you, you turn into like some sort of like purple angel wings with like some sort of thing. Is that the crazy psychedelic art? You know, those like uh, yeah, those images you stare at for too long, it's too trippy. I start to trip out just listening to <laughs> talking to you. So it's kind of a fun experience. You know, you can add that to the to the experience if you're listening to the show. Um, but man, this has been this has been great. I appreciate you and your work. Uh, I I hope that things work out over there Um, you know if there's anything I can do to help like I guess uh, um, Andreas Kalker's got some great you know stuff with the chlorine dioxide there's 10,000 doctors underneath them Um, I know that they're they're um, preventing hydroxychloroquine which also had really great results for healing and part of the Potentially negative thing was that you have to lift, lift the emergencies act if there's potential solutions. But hydroxychloroquine and chlorine dioxide from Andreas Kalker have verified cases of having really um, fantastic results for healing. And so, if that is indeed true, we need more doctors to be aware of that to be able to, to uh, prescribe it. Because I actually um, just had a friend say that her her sister was a nurse. They forced her to wear a mask for three months. And her sister said she was starting to feel sick. And I looked into the mask and a lot of them are made in China dipped with ethylene oxide and which is a chemical, right? Obviously stupid. And so in small, small amounts, totally fine. But if you're wearing a mask 12 hours a day with a little bit of ethylene oxide, you're going to get poisoning. And the, what happened to her sister is like, it follows what happened. If you look at ethylene oxide poisoning and um, she ended up dying. And so we need, You know, it's it's scary times all over, you know, and and we really need to be able to empower ourselves to make our own health choices. um, um, And we need good people with solutions to access them. And so she said uh, she couldn't get hydroxychloroquine to her sister because they wouldn't allow it. And so I'm just... uh, we're in some interesting times but it's good to know that there's wow. great people like you out there um it's transformative times right we have an opportunity to help to get out of our own way to look for solutions and and be a part of that solution um you know and and it's a great opportunity for all of us and hopefully for humanity to transform and extend their compassion to all suffering that w- that we can see in w- how do we transform ourselves so that we can make that impact so we can maybe make that little bit of a solution in our community you know if at least we can't help don't harm, you know? Um, so, you know, as far as our vocation and our livelihood, that's something I, I think even just very important there. If we all got very clear on what our vocation is, who we are, um, how we'd like to give back, how we'd like to live our lives, how we could support all of, all of this other stuff would, would, uh, kind of go away. So, or, or, at least be diminished greatly. So my friend, I'm just rambling on again, but, uh, thank you so much. Uh, where could, where do people find your stuff? Did you say your website?
1: yeah uh come to blue dot world and uh you can see everything that's going on with the trinity retreats and our different programs there we also have an unbelievable ton of free material there uh, as well as we have the trinity scholarship program and we create a scholarship program during this time so that literally we would not turn anybody away so you can come and participate in a trinity retreat with us uh, regardless of your financial situation, we have people that are helping support. So if you can help support others, please do. And other people are receiving from that and we're changing lives. And so blue morpho retreats dot world. And, uh, everyone is welcome. Literally everyone, we're growing a community of people that are taking the power back of our own healing. And it's all based in positivity and the power of the plants and the love that we have for each other and the universe. And, uh, like you said, turning to that great creation and great spirit as a means of life direction and support. So if that sounds good, please come and join us. And it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Matt.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Brother Hamilton, you're, you're a gem, my friend. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and we'll have to get you back on like on a weekly show to just talk about the, uh, the beings and what they're saying and what their names are. Maybe, maybe somebody has got to categorize them and, and maybe they want, you know, to be out there and they can just talk about like their race and what they're doing and how we communicate. So, <laughs> you know, we're going to need a host for that. I'm super down. So let me know, man. But, uh, always Absolutely. a pleasure.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and next time, anytime you want, I'm happy to. I'm happy to be on your show and chat. And if you want to have one that goes deep into the the you know the essence of the shamanic practices, I'd be happy to talk all about that. It'd be a real pleasure.
0: Done deal. Sounds good. Okay, brother. Have a great day.
1: All right. Talk soon. Bye bye. See ya.
0: Bye, guys. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I warned you, it was a mind-blowing episode. Hamilton and I had a discussion after the podcast for probably 45 minutes that might have been even more mind-blowing. He was telling me more stories and, you know you're just looking at him, he's telling you the stories, I don't get any sense at all that he is lying to me whatsoever. Um, I have some mind-blowing stories that make literally no sense, but I experienced them, and it's, it's just what happened. And, you know, Hamilton, obviously, you know, living in Peru, living a totally different life path than, than uh, people do living in the forest. Like, you know who knows what you would perceive and how you would connect but uh it really opens up the whole bag of worms on consciousness possibility beings life it's just it's amazing so some of my favorite uh, episodes are conversations like that so i hope that you enjoyed this episode please share it as far and as wide as you can uh tag me tag uh hamilton on on instagram make clips do whatever you can to get the show out because censorship is real and i'm definitely in a battle right now with censorship and getting banned and deleted and moving my stuff to maybe an in-house thing and getting you guys to come over there, but I uh, gotta find some solutions. So um, thank you to my patrons, thank you to my supporters. If you're interested in, in you know going into the Quantum Heart Hypnosis that's gonna be coming out soon, the Soul Compass, or one-on-one, check up uh, mattbellier.com. Make sure to sign up for the email list and uh, or hit me up at any time matt@zenathlete.com. Would love to work with you to have you in the community, whether that's going through a program, doing a meditation, or one-on-one coaching. Just make an inquiry and would love to support you and your goals because I firmly believe when we all live our purpose, our dharma, our life purpose, uh, we are in contribution to our community and the world and nature and all the good stuff. So and we also feel better personally. And so that's it. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you very much. Have an amazing day. So let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, courage, inspiration, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.